So good to have you at church this morning. You've joined us on a fantastic week. This week is part three of a series of talks we're doing on the topic of worship. And uh, we've been talking about worship mainly just to sort of figure out what worship is and uh, what it's really about. So if you were here for our first week, you would have heard about us talking about some misconceptions about worship and how we heard that worship is just an expression towards God of all that he's done for us. And last week, Pastor Joe took us through another message, and I think that was called the who, the why, and the how of worship. And basically, that was about that if we get who we worship right, it will inform our why we worship and how we worship. Today, I just want to take us through the topic of my whole life as worship. So if we've got those slides, there we go, awesome. I think this thing is on. My whole life as worship. And I think this is a really fitting way to end this series, and I hope this is a message today that blesses you. I've actually based this message off one verse in the Bible. One verse. So let's look that up together before we pray. Uh, Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bibles with you. Romans chapter 12. And uh, if you're more inclined to read things off a screen, it's going to be up on the screen for you as well. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. This is a classic, classic verse. You probably have heard this before. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. All right, I can't make this thing click. There we go. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says this in the New Living Translation. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. Now, yours might say something a little bit different, like this is your spiritual act of worship or this is your reasonable service. But basically, when you go back to the original language of the Bible, which was Greek, it's still talking about worship. And so this morning, I want us to focus in on the topic of worship one final time and... uh, Before we get into the crux of our message, I'd love it if you all joined with me for prayer. So would you bow your heads one final time? Heavenly Father, right now I just want to single out the devil and say, devil, get out of here. You have no place in here right now. This is a place where we're going to exalt Jesus, our Savior. And so, Lord, as we open up your word this morning, as we look at a specific text of the Bible, we just pray that you speak to us May we get a word from you, and may we just all be uplifted to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last weekend, actually, I I was privileged to go to a 10-year school reunion. Uh, 10 years. It's a whole decade, for those of you who uh, have trouble with maths. A whole decade since I left school. And uh, now, instead of putting the time capsules into the ground... My generation is digging them back up to find out what life was like back then. But 10 whole years since I left school, and uh, we got invited to go up and go to a particular restaurant there, and so I took Steph as my plus one. It was a fantastic night, just enjoying the company, trying to remember who people were, um, trying to you know, gauge what people were doing with their life. It was really awesome. It was also a little bit awkward sometimes when you confuse Uh, someone's partner for someone you went to school with and then you have to try and rescue yourself and and get out of that whole pickle but uh, it was a really really great night and so you got to chat with a few different people catch up with mates you were close with people perhaps that you you wanted to see again and um, you know you might have experienced this as well 
Uh, I don't know how you went through school like, but my year at school had about 300 students in it. So it's really hard to keep contact with 300 people. And as a, a natural consequence of that, you lose contact with some people. And you know when you're trying to form chit-chat with some people who you sort of know, you don't remember their name, but you know you should be friendly to them? Have you ever had that experience before? Where you know the person, but you don't want to ask their name again because it's rude? Well, we had a conversation with a lot of people like that, funny enough, and um, there is always a, a way in which the conversation eventuates. You know, you ask, oh, how are you? How are you going? It always ends up getting to a point in the conversation where you have to ask a question because you don't have anything else to talk to them about. And that is this question, if I can get that one. Sorry, I'm going to have to do it manually. You have to ask this question, so what are you doing with yourself these days? It's sort of like that question that you know when the conversation's degraded to a point you've got nothing else to talk about. You ask them, so what are you doing with your life these days? It's one of those questions that you do because it's interesting to find out what people are actually doing with their lives. And I must admit, I had that question asked to me a lot that night, uh, but I got to ask that question quite a fair bit as well. And it was really interesting that I found out what some of my classmates were doing. I've, one of my classmates, he's editing shows for um, Bondi Rescue, you know that surf show? He's editing the film for that. Another person is a policeman. Someone was something called a speech pathologist. Um, don't know what that is, but good on them. And uh, there were some people working from the, for the government. There's also some people that just simply class themselves as mums and dads. And that's cool. That is the best job you can ever have. Can I hear an amen on that? There you go. So, so many people, different occupations, but you have to ask the question at one point or another, so what are you doing with yourself these days? And it's actually a really good question to ask when there actually is something going on in your life. You know, when your life's going well, like you've started a new job, or you've bought a new car, or you've started uni, something like that. It's really good to be able to have that conversation about what's happening in your life when things are going good. But what about when your life has uh, not much going on in it at the moment? What about if, if you were going through a season where you can't make sense of things? Or what if you're going through a season where you don't know what your next move in your life should be, where you don't know where God's leading you? What about if you're going through a season where you just don't know what you're supposed to be doing at this moment in time? Well, it can happen sometimes. It can actually be quite a daunting experience for people. Some of you have known that year 12 has just finished up at school. And time and time again, I hear people ask this question. So what are you doing with your life? What are you going to be doing next year? Do you know? Are you going to uni? Are you going to do more study? Are you going to have a gap year? It's something really, really stressful for someone who leaves grade 12 because they finish school, something that's been familiar to them for 12 years, and all of a sudden they have to have their life in order to be able to tell people what they're doing next year. Sometimes this question can be really, really hard for people to answer because you actually have to identify what it actually is that you should be doing with your life. What are we supposed to be doing with our lives? And this brings us to the book of Romans, which we actually just read before. And here Paul is writing to a group of people that have been going through some things which are sort of like what we just identified then. They are going through what we call an identity shift. And Paul actually tells these people 
in the Roman church what they should be doing with their lives. And in this letter, if you read back in the chapters before, Paul has actually been telling the people that they have a new identity. He's just got through explaining that no longer people are, should be identified by the law or by keeping certain rules about who they associate with or what they eat and what they drink. No longer are the people of God exclusive, but the people of God are now all of those people who believe in Jesus and put their faith in their lives. And he keeps going along this thought pattern and he comes to the point where he wants to redefine what worship is. And see if I can get this thing. There we go. He comes to a point where he wants to redefine what worship looks like for God's people in this particular moment in history. And he says, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a holy sacrifice, the kind that God finds acceptable. It's a bit of an interesting statement, isn't it? Now, if you're here for the first time and you're thinking, what is this? I thought this was church. I thought we were learning about worship this morning. What's all this talk about me sacrificing my life to God? What are we supposed... I thought this was about us finding out what life was supposed to be like, what I was supposed to be doing with my life. Well, really, what Paul here is alluding to is he's alluding to the Old Testament sacrificial system in which people would bring their animals whether that be a bull, whether that be a lamb or an animal, and they'd actually sacrifice it at the temple. He's talking about this sacrificial system because this sacrificial system was supposed to teach the people of God all about the day when Jesus would come and he'd one day be dying in their place. It was their worship. It was their sacrificial system. And he has this in mind. But now that Jesus had died and he had fulfilled that system, there remained no further need to continually sacrifice animals. And so what Paul says here is he says, give your body over to God. He's redefining what this whole worship experience should be like for his people. In other words, God doesn't look for us to sacrifice birds and beasts anymore. He doesn't look for an animal to be the life that we give over to God. What God classes at worship now is the act of someone giving their life in service to God. There's no longer a sacrifice. I mean, it's not ourselves giving ourselves as a sacrifice for sin, but it means giving their lives to God. And when you think about it, sometimes we can put worship in such a box, we can put worship in such a confined space, and we can say worship is this and worship isn't that. But Paul completely blows this out of the water. Here he says, in your own life, giving your life to God is actually your true form of worship. So I want to apply that a bit this morning. What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it look like to give our life to God? How does that actually work? Well, I think it's very easily to come, to come up, uh, I can't even say the word, put yourself in different compartments is the word I was looking for. Put your life into different parts. It's very easy to say when we come to church, all right, this is my God time. And then when you go home on Saturday night, all right, this is my me time. It's very easy to change your life up like that. But what Paul here is saying is that we should be giving our whole selves over to God and that this is an act of worship. But what this doesn't mean is that 
we can't have any hobbies. This doesn't mean that we can't play golf on a Sunday morning. This doesn't mean that we can't go to the football or go out for lunch with friends. This doesn't actually mean that you can't do fun things. When you give your life to God, it doesn't mean you have to be a boring person. It just means simply that you are giving your life to God, giving it over to Him, and this is an actual act of worship. You know, we can sometimes think that God might not even want our lives. Like, what can God possibly do with me? I know that when I was thinking about becoming a pastor and God called that and put that on my life, there was no way which I thought God would actually want to use me. You sort of think, why would God want to use just an ordinary person like me? But what we read here in Romans chapter 12 is that God exactly desires that. I love what Eugene Peterson says in the Message Bible. And I think we got a slide for that as well, actually. There we go. All right, this is what it says. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around everyday life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. So when we give our life over to God, we're actually saying, not that God actually needs us as a sacrifice, but when we give our lives over to God, we're honouring the very fact that God has given us our very life in the first place. We're honouring the fact that God has created us, that it was His very own breath that gives us life and sustains us. And we're also honouring the fact that He has died for us and that He has put Himself on the line to take care of the whole sin problem. So giving our whole life over to God, allowing God to use us, allowing Him to work through us and allowing the world to be reached as a result of us giving our lives to Him is an act of worship. But you know, there's two barriers to worship. There's two things that stop our lives from being given to God. There's barriers which stop ourselves giving ourselves fully to God. And number one would be control. How many of you, let's see, for the couples in the room, how many of the women look after the kitchen? Can I say, this is controversial, but if you're a woman, can I see you raise your hand? All right, put your hands down. Men, can I see how many of you think it's your job to look after the kitchen? A few. Ooh, that's interesting. (laughs) Well, in our household, um, we have a very small kitchen. um, And, you know, when we were trying to fill our house with furniture and everything, um, we divided the house up so who could decorate what room. So I had the garage. The garage was the manly realm. And so I put up my Australia flag there. I'm putting up my Cronulla Sharks memorabilia on the walls. But we had a bit of a grey area when it came to the kitchen. And um, I like the kitchen a certain way. And my wife likes the kitchen a certain way. And so I'd come into the kitchen and there'd be stuff on the bench and so I'd rearrange it. I'd, I'd, I want it to be under my control. You know what I'm saying? I need to feel like I'm in control. And then I'd go off and do something. And long behold, I'd come back and my system for things would be totally rearranged. And then I saw I'd rearrange it back. And then some form of magic, I'd go to try and find something and it wouldn't be in the spot which I originally put it. See, Steph and I had a bit of a, a, con, a struggle of control, would you say that, babe? No? <laughs> Her system's better. <laughs> we'll talk later. 
No. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. <laughs> just kidding. I love you. Um, but it just highlights the fact that in our lives, whether it be something as trivial as a kitchen or something way more serious, we like to have control. We like to maintain control of our lives. And it can happen so easily when it comes to our spiritual walk with God. We want to control that sometimes. It's natural to what we do as humans. We think, all right, I'm willing to let God use me up until this point. But when God calls you to do something crazy, like he often does for people in the Bible, people like Daniel and Moses and Gideon and people like that who obviously have their short fallings, it just doesn't make sense. And we automatically go into this enclosure where we think, no, this is not what I want for my life. I've got to control every little part of it, sort of like what we do um, in our homes and in our marriages, right? But if we're going to give our lives over to God, if we're going to let him take control, we have to surrender control of our lives to God and let him use us. Barrier number two would be conforming. And what I mean by that is there is constant pressure in this world to conform to what everybody around us is doing. And so if you read on to verse two, it actually talks about not conforming and not making sure our life is like everybody else. When we give our life to God, he starts working things in us and we start to act differently, we start to look differently, we start to behave differently. A life with God transforms you and that's what it says in the next verse, renewing of our minds. We start to change and we don't start to look like the people around us anymore. And that's not because we're, you know, bragging or we're somehow better than them, but it's just a natural flow on of giving over our life, giving over our control and not conforming to the ways of this world. So Paul here is saying something really, really interesting. He's saying, give your lives over to God, give your full life over to God, because this is your act of worship. And now it's not simply just about us giving our lives to God. Is another point which I want to say. We give our life to God because of what he has done for us. And if I can go back there, um, I can't read it that far, but you basically, you get what it says. Give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. There can't be any more better motivation to give your life to God, to walk in his ways, than by reflecting upon what it actually is that he has done for you. When we reflect on the fact that Jesus walked on this earth, when he went through the very same thing that we did, when he struggled with things sometimes. He had a bunch of disciples who just didn't get it. It must have been very frustrating. But yet he stayed true and he never sinned and he gave his life on the cross for us. When you reflect upon Jesus' life, you can't help but be motivated to give your life to him and to let him do things in your life. Because it's sort of like when we worship in other ways, church, isn't it? When we worship God through giving him our tithes, giving him our tithes and offerings. It's not just us giving him the tithe that's the act of worship. It's the response of us recognizing that everything we have comes from God anyway, so we want to give back in an act of worship. And that's the same with what we're talking about this morning, giving our lives over to God. We give our lives to God because it's him who gave it to us in the first place. And that's truly how we can be really happy, if I'm going to be quite frank about it. We can be the happiest in life when we're in line with what God wants for us. Let's pray.
God, we just offer ourselves to you here this morning. We just pray that you take all of us and use us for your will, Lord. Impact this world by what has happened in this church service this morning. May you be always with us, reminding us of your presence. And uh, may we be truly changed this morning. May we always be able to give ourselves fully to you in worship. We pray this in the loving name of Jesus.